labor market is a big thing at the moment. Economists are sitting on the sidelines, kind of watching the numbers and feeding them through to the newspapers and that kind of thing. How's it from your perspective? Um, well, it's better than we thought. Um, a lot better than we thought. When when every COVID thing happened, we were kind of sitting there thinking we're not too sure what's going to happen. Um, but we've kind of slingshotted out the other side to find that there's actually a bigger pool of talent that's now available and, and ready to work and, and those guys showing a bit more interest and um, commitment to, to turning up and, and getting the job done uh, definitely get to the front of the line so for the first time since I've been doing this uh, we've, we've, we can kind of start to t- start to pick the, the top candidates and, and not have to take any risks with, with our reliability and, and uh, efficiency on, on sites and across, across businesses. Do you see that, um, obviously, there are going to be changes across a whole lot of sectors and industries, but do you do you get the sense that there's going to be kind of a change in, in our approach to work? Are we going to see much more of a temporary gig economy kind of thing? Well, we're, we're finding already with some of our big European um, clients that we're dealing with on on, a, on their, their base, base level here, that they're on hiring freezes, so... Uh, their head of operations and things who New Zealand based aren't allowed to take on any fixed costs um, until February next year and that, that's that's across several of our clients. So yeah, I think short term um, there's going to be a lot more contract and and and, and uh, kind of temporary staffing solutions for sure. Um, what that looks like later on next year, um, mm. your guess is probably as good as mine. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a different forecast, um, but but one that we're ready for and, and, and whatnot. So. Do you, and um, if you look at New Zealand and then the rest, of the, the rest of the world, there's been a lot of talk about how we sit within the context of things and the potential for, uh, you know, the Microsofts of the world to come and set up uh, bigger offices or server farms here or that kind of thing. Are you, are you getting a sense that, that uh, that's starting to happen across different industries and that there will be... You know, there'll be some sort of labour demand here for um, overseas operations as well. Yeah, that's that's the starting to hear about it. Whether it starts to get in wheels in motion, I'm not I'm not going to be too sure. It's across everything, right? You hear that the USC might be coming and doing the next fight island here, so that opens a bit of um, labour supply to setting things up and 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 whatnot. But I think people are definitely looking looking at New Zealand as a bit bit more of a safer. Um, an excluded base to, to be running operations from, um, mm. but not necessarily seeing anything right now. But who knows? Who knows what the what is that a like. is that a new potential market for you? Uh, supplying fighters. Jeez, uh, a couple of boys in the office probably think that they could uh, back themselves in there, but you uh, <laughs> won't catch me doing it. That's for sure. <laughs> you did. Um... On a serious note, you know, I, I was looking at some of your, your LinkedIn posts. That was the extent of my research. But um, you, you spoke about, uh, or it was in reference to, a, to Rob Fife uh, coming in and having a catch up with you about the future. And you mentioned slingshotting out of, uh, you know, out of the recession um, and, and that there were, there's, there's um, some new opportunities within different sectors. Is that, are you, are you kind of growing and branching out into, into supplying labour into a whole lot of new areas? Yeah, so we, um, slingshotting is definitely my favourite word and it has been since, since, uh, since lockdown. So one that we've been, been focusing on making sure that we do do, and, and most certainly have, we've employed three internal staff during this period um, and we've kind of diversified 
our revenue significantly outside of generally just the construction and civil construction sector. Well, we're probably finding um, we've got a, a dead on 50-50 split um, and we're finding 50% out, outside of our, our original markets and 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 that that came with a with a huge approach to to seeing what else is out there. So we're kind of sitting there thinking, geez, if this is what we can do in this short period of time, then what does it look like in the next year or two years? So um, yeah, just been a, had a big focus on on what we can do outside of the construction and and civil space to uh, to 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 keep to keep stealing more market share and, and what market that looks like. We, we're still hunting for more. Mm. So outside of construction and civil, where are those new sectors? Where, where are the areas that you're picking up? There's there's lo- you know there's loads of warehousing. There's kind of loads of factories. There's some big joinery factories out there at the moment. Um, ones that we're kind of getting warm intros through from our construction and civil clients. So um, we're finding a bit more roof on roof on work, which is good. Not really weather affected, and especially in Auckland, mm. uh, you know what that can be like. So. Um, yeah, just just starting to see what else or what do the suppliers look like to our current clients um, or to the current job sites and construction sites that are on, and, and how can we be a help there, and, and what can we do to get our foot in the door? Yeah, I guess you get a you get kind of an early perspective on where you know what's sort of being built in, built up, what sort of sectors are starting to hire and and build up capability. What's your What's your gut feeling? What's your sense in terms of um, where we go from here, the New Zealand economy, and and what sectors start? Uh, well, you know, where are the green shoots? Yeah, I, um, when I find out, I'll tell you. <laughs> still, still looking for it. Um, most certainly not an economist. Uh, as much as I love spreadsheets, sometimes it's still hard to run run outside the normal kind of sectors that I'm in. I, I think the construction um, sector will kind of start to get back to some form of normal or the new normal um, early to mid next year. I think it's kind of on a, you run all the big developers are on a bit of a freeze in terms of pouring more money in. So what projects we do have are still going, um, but the ones that we were waiting on to get going uh, have just been pushed out really. Um, mm-hmm. And that happened across the civil space too. So I think, you know, early to mid next year, um, provided we don't have another flare up, um, we could be starting to look like, um, getting kind of capacities and, and, and business performance back up to to what we'd expect. So things like the focus on shovel-ready projects and that kind of thing are, are potentially good for you? That's a golden word. <laughs> Wait to see them come into, uh, into play. But, um, mm. but yeah, if, if those kind of things could click go on. A lot of infrastructure talks going around, um, but how quickly they can get them moving. Um, yeah, I mean, what's the what's the limitation when you look at when you look at projects like Transmission Galley, which require a whole lot of uh, overseas uh, labour and talent, which which aren't here at the moment? What's the? I mean, how how hamstrung are we uh, by our borders at the moment? What's the potential for us to kind of work with the with the talent pool that we have in the country? So the the model that that I always ran um, was strictly. Uh, home-based talent we we never had more than 10 to 15 percent of our on-site staff uh on work visas so we were constantly challenging ourselves to make sure that we could identify and, and keep the uh the homegrown talent and and continue to upskill them so we're in a pretty fortunate position where a lot of our i guess competitors are sitting and sitting on the hands a little bit with a few people here on on work visas with secured amount of hours um, where that's not the case for us, and, and 
it's really business as usual. We we just kind of trying to find the uh, roses between the thorns and, and keep reinvesting into them so we can kind of facilitate those uh, those demands with with Kiwis or, or passport holders. So um, on the wider scale, yeah, I think there is going to be a bit of a downturn and, and we are probably a bit uh, hamstrung from the borders. But um, that's on the bigger labour picture. But for us, we, we're, um, we're good as go. We're kind of business as usual and, and not sitting there licking our wounds at all. Mm. We move from a macro perspective to a to a personal journey because like one minute what happens one minute you're in an agency and then the next minute you're starting a labour hire company and and becoming a managing director and uh, having to deal with all of the all of the responsibility of business. How does that happen? Um, no, I never I never worked for an agency actually. I um, well for me uh, personally, I, I was a building apprentice, um, and I just knew that my my boss was kind of doing all right and he had a couple of us that he was making a couple of bucks on and then um, ended up one thing led to another finished my building apprenticeship um, went into uni sucked at uni um, realised I thought I'd go and give it a chance um, and yeah started up Auckland Labour Hire and then one thing went to another and, and a year and a half later we got some investment on board and then another six months after that we got some more and 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 we're kind of still going strength to strength and coming up to our fourth fourth year anniversary to, uh, next month. Um, but yeah, it just all happens so quickly. It's almost like a snowball effect, really. So what happens? How do you how do you go out and get investment a year and a half after after starting? And what was so that? I um I was relatively good friends at the time um with our with my first investor Sarah. Um, she was the first person to come on board and, and I gifted Rob um, some initially just through his time investment that he'd put in uh, to me in the early stages. Um, so I'd kind of roughly met them through an old friend of mine um, and that relationship just ended up growing um, and we kind of organically started to talk a little bit more about business and we were going and we were going and then... Um, yeah, I just said, look, could I tap into any of your network? I think we could be in a good place if we could get some, some working capital um, so we could start to grow a little bit more and, and, and take the leap of faith. And um, So, that yeah, Sarah put her hand up and said, yeah, look, I'm keen to give it a go and, and go from there. And then six months later, I asked, I kind of asked again. I said, look, we've kind of got another pinch point. Um, you're ready to go again? And, and Rob was like, yeah, I'm ready. And and uh, fella I know is probably ready to so when I met with um John T and and ended up being a pretty quick and, and easy process a couple of presentations and proposals and and here we are. And how 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 did it how did it change the nature of the the business for you and your approach? Did it feel all of a sudden like a, a whole lot of extra weight on your shoulders and responsibility and and even reporting? Yeah. Um so those are the things I actually kind of thought that I was, I was missing, and I was kind of like, in order to this feel like it's not just a business ran from my bedroom or a garage, I kind of want to have someone I can go and fling a report to, or feel like if I'm not up and at them, I've got some pressure or someone sitting on my shoulder. Um, I'm kind of somebody who deals really well with that, and that's probably something I thrive off. Um, but it did change it. The, the expectations uh, are super clear and, and, and I set them for myself. So 
beyond my expectations, uh, they're just they're just happy to match it and make sure I'm I'm holding myself accountable to, to what I've said really. So uh, the reporting and, and things like that, it's it's not too extensive, and I really enjoy it because it gives me a chance to see the cracks and things in the business. Without without needing to go into too much detail, I mean, what what sort of thing did the did the money help with? Just just working capital. So when when we're when you're fresh on the lot, you can't really go and ask for all these nice, sexy payment terms, right? Like it's, you're kind of whatever they say goes. Um, so I started the business with $500 um, and I was on seven-day payment terms. So I couldn't pay the staff until I got paid. And then that's how we kind of kept operating. Um, and so once we started to get a bit more and a bit more and a bit more money, it just allowed us to take more of a risk on the contracts that we were taking because um, we had more working capital, we could take on more people to, you know, hope that we're going to get it the following month. Um, and that was kind of the rat race that we were in. Um, but once we got in it, then, um, then it just helps with cash flow and, and working capital. So with that, gives us gives us more, uh, or less reason to make any excuses of why we can't chase the bigger stuff. Mm. And as well as the as well as the money, can you talk us through um, you know the benefits in terms of having having some kick ass advisors as well? Yeah, huge benefits. I think um, you know Sarah's Sarah's really really impressive, and from what she's gone and done on a, on her own um, front uh, with sixty two models, and she gives me some really good insights of kind of a startup mentor for me. She's done that herself, and then. Once we start to get into the bigger and more nitty gritty stuff, um, Rob's really helpful to lean on. Um, obviously, he's he's got a really really good CV, um, so tapping into his experience is, is great. Um, and then Johnsy's always good to to ring up and give a call and, and see if he's got a relationship with this person or that company that I'm trying to get in touch with. So they've all kind of got their own strengths, which which they all offer me. Um, but I think for me, I find and I'm learning more. Um, just kind of being in the same room and, and walking down the same street as them sometimes and, and the way they carry and conduct themselves. That, that's where I find that I'm learning most about them and, and, and how they operate. What do you mean by that? What do you, how like, can, can you elaborate on the... On oh, the... well, you, you kind of, you know, you get everyone kind of has a perception of certain people, especially if they have a profile, um, but to kind of be in the, the same room and meetings, um, be going into engagements or pitch presentations... Um, you know, opposed to trying to pick someone, pick his brains about it or pick Sarah's brains about it. Me sitting in the room and being a fly in the wall, I get far more from it, just seeing how they operate uh, naturally um, and, and some of the angles and, and the, the navigation that they do in and out of uh, going in and out of these meetings. So the professionalism, the directness, the uh, decisiveness and, and, and just the general approach to, to going and securing more business is, is impressive, along with making sure that everyone who comes on board, uh, client or, or staff, has a really, really good, positive and, and warming experience. Do you think it works the other way as well? Like, do you think that they pick up things from you? <laughs> I don't think they'd pick up anything from me uh, on a professional uh, standpoint, but um, I've heard them throw, the, throw it around that I've, I've got a good energy, so I'm pretty sure that they don't mind that sometimes, but then I guess on the back of that, sometimes it winds them up a little bit if I'm a bit all go all the time. Mm. What? How would you describe yourself as a as a leader? Um, how would I describe myself as a leader? Oof. Um, I'd like to think I'm decisive, um, 
direct and, and pretty clear with my thoughts and, and what needs to be achieved um, and being supportive and, and uplifting those people who are going to help help achieve that, not just for kind of mine or the company's benefit, but more so for theirs. So, um, yeah, I guess simple, super clear and, and decisive and, and direct. But um, I'd like to think I don't take a no-nonsense, I take a bit of a no-nonsense approach, but you've got to have a bit of leniency and, and things. But it's, it's just a bit easier if, if you've got clear expectations and people know exactly what they're going to get from you and, and what they're not. Just on the, again, on the investment side, and we'll move on. But, um, you know, asking for money is a, is a tough, is a tough thing, particularly for, for Kiwis, right? Uh, did you have to go through a little bit of kind of emotional turmoil to, to get to the point where you stand up, do a presentation and ask for cash? No, I, um, it was in a pretty casual form that, that I, I floated the question. Um, but I necessarily, like personally, I'd I'd rather almost chop my arm if I need it than ask someone for money, right? <laughs> but but when it comes onto a business context, I was super confident in in my ability and and the business strategy that I'd I'd kind of had set in place. That I almost felt like I was doing them a privilege asking them for their money. <laughs> that's how confident I was when I was when I was kind of you know, and I think that that's a big big difference. Like if you know, I think I was 22 when I asked for, for the money and I don't, you know, I would have kind of get ripped, bang and bust and anyone who tries to get in your way and, and you, you're that confident, you think you're seven foot tall and and, and and that's what you need at the time. It changes a little bit over time. You get a couple of whacks here and there and you come a bit more uh, bit more composed with how you go around things. But yeah, at the time, no, I didn't have any issues at all. Any advice for for other other entrepreneurs out there who are at that point where they they need some capital injection, um, provided it's it's a calculated uh, presentation and you've got some clear kind of pivot points on and some scenarios and how it could look on on a on a functional, non-functional, and optimal basis, um, go for it and just make sure that you're more prepared than the other people. And bearing in mind, if you're asking someone for money, they're going to have a whole lot more questions than you think. Mm. So, you mentioned uh, being, you know, being young and seven foot tall, bulletproof, and that kind of thing. But would you, if you could, wind the clock back a little bit, would you do anything different? I wouldn't change a thing um, from from what I'd had to do to get to where it is now. Um, and I'm probably pretty sure, if we had a chat in four years' time, I'd, I'd feel the same. I'd, I'd try not to regret anything. Um, and try not to wish I did anything differently. Um, but my approach and, and how I carry myself, I, I kind of, it was a good chance to learn. I think the only thing I'd change, I wish I had more hours and I wish I probably put a bit more time into to it over the weekends and, and, and things like that. And, and there's, there's lots of sacrifice that goes into to this stuff. But I think anyone who's kind of got a entrepreneurial mindset thinks back and thinks, oh, I could have done another one hour here this week and two hours there and it could have compounded and it could have given me another week over a year and stuff like that. But that's just a little petty stuff. Did, did you always have that entrepreneurial spirit? See, I never, like, I still probably find it quite hard to consider myself like an entrepreneur. I don't think I'm some, like, creative brain that has all these great ideas and kind of trying to change the world. Um, I just get something pop up in my head or like a light bulb go off and, and if I've got an interest into it I'll, I'll kind of 
go at it like a madman and, and that's kind of it and it doesn't have to be all a new tech brand or anything like that if, if there's something with a cool opportunity um and and and, and you know it's not like i'm reinventing i was like i'm inventing anything kind of innovative i'm just kind of reinventing our approach so i don't know i think yeah i know i still struggle to think that i probably do fit that bill but um no i just think i'm i'm pretty pretty driven and 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 finding something interesting and 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 if i can get a bit of a taste of, of success in it then, then i'm all after it you think sometimes that new entrepreneurs young entrepreneurs get a little bit carried away with the focus on the tech space because there's still a shitload of money and you know the civil and the transport and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, that kind of unsexy stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. One of my um, one of my good friends kind of always gives me a bit of slack about. It. He's kind of like, I'm out here trying to change the world with all these new tech brands. He goes, You're kind of doing this thing that's been around for thousands of years, and he goes, You're doing a bit better than I am at the moment. He goes, Hopefully that changes, but he goes, It just pisses me off a little bit. <laughs> You think will there be the you know are, are there going to be the the young people coming through that will will start those civil engineering companies that will start those transport companies is there you know is that or is everything going to kind of move into the into the sexy stuff? Oh, I think there's everyone probably coming through the ranks now. I think probably moves into the sexy stuff. Um, I've got no problem being in not sexy stuff provided there's opportunity and. Uh, Anyone's wor- everyone's worrying about that stuff, then I'm more than happy to be about worrying about this stuff and and uh, dealing with that. But I think everyone's first approach is always, right, how can I go and do this and make it a bit easier and, and stuff like that. But if you can kind of understand your why and uh, and what solution and, and what problem you're actually going to be solving, um, then it can make it, you can kind of give yourself a bit of a reality check of what's actually required and what's not. What is your why? My why is just creating a really, really cool um, working environment for, for staff inside and outside the office. Um, for me, success looks like being exposed to, to learning opportunities and, and learning environments consistently and being outside of my comfort zone. And uh, my why is making sure that people around me um, feel the same um, because um, I just want to learn, grow and develop and I think the golden pot will be something that hopefully comes at the end of it. I'm in no rush for it. But, um, yeah, well, why just learning, creating cool cool work environments and, and seeing people around me succeed. Have you noticed that even over the last four years, right, there must have been some fairly drastic change in terms of expectation around workplace culture? Uh, you know, you've got um, more consciousness about bullying and uh, diversity and, and, and that kind of thing. Has that, have you noticed, has that, has that really changed things for you as well? That's changed a lot. We, my, my, from the outset, it was always around supporting people's health, both you know more more than anything mentally. Um, so we we're always on the front foot about creating an environment where people felt okay to come forward and talk to us, um, and that it was a positive and respectful one. Um, it's been a big change, but it's something that we've always been super kind of on the ball about. Um, so we haven't had to make any drastic changes, if anything just keep expecting more of ourselves in, in that field. Mm. Now, if we, um, you know, over lockdown, there was a lot of stress and a lot of uncertainty, particularly around uh, what the hell was going to happen and, and that kind of thing. Did you have to, um, how, how was it for you and, the, and, and your team and the, and, the, and the people that you deal with? Um, oh, it was challenging to say the least. I remember like four weeks 
before this COVID stuff started, not before lockdown, but before it started to really ramp up, I remember sat down with Rob and I said, mate, I just feel like every problem that I could have faced so far in business, I have. And he looked at me and he said, don't say that. He goes, just don't say that. And then this happened and I was like, oh, he goes, you bet you're eating your words right now. Um, (laughs) But no, it was challenging. Um, I'd like to think that uh, definitely the shareholders had full confidence in in my ability of of doing what was required uh, best for the business. Um, And then I was super confident that I was going to do what was best. Um, And if we could kind of be as optimistic but realistic uh, along with being calculated with how we we're going to hit the perfect storm then uh, and, and be proactive how we communicated that with everyone, that was going to be, that was my priority from the outset. So we knew within 72 hours exactly what our capacities look like, uh, what our next four to eight to 12 weeks look like um, across a couple of different scenarios. So it was challenging, but a challenge I actually really thrived off and I felt like I learned a lot. Um, mm. and, and kind of had a chance to develop and, and upskill myself a bit. Was it a was it a big revenue hit to start with? Massive. <laughs> I think we um, achieved twelve percent of the the projected revenue for 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 April, and then May was I think twenty percent. So we lost well over a million bucks in revenue across those two months. So something like that normally <laughs> hurts the. Uh, Hurts a little bit and hurts a soul more than anything, but but uh, yes, it wasn't it wasn't kind of derailing or, or detrimental, what mm. not whatnot. It's one that we've kind of found ourselves bouncing back from. So do you, uh, you know, and if, if you always kind of try and look for silver linings in these things, but do you think that it that it kind of forced you to be a to be a more efficient company? You spoke about looking at new revenue streams and that kind of thing. Do you, do you think that ultimately, like a year down the track, you'll be you'll be a different beast and a stronger beast? <coughs> For sure. Um, 100%. And, and, you know, there's, there's pockets of opportunity in any downturn or any pandemic or any kind of um, recession. And, and it was just, I was kind of just obsessed with making sure I could find some of them. Um, and some of them have been fast tracking, jumping into different sectors. Um, which has been great. So it's given us a chance to employ some really talented people. Um, and it's given me a really good chance to know who the right people for me to be around in, in these kind of times are too. Because, it, you know, it's crucial who you're bouncing ideas off. If you're bouncing ideas off somebody who's down in the dumps about it, you set yourself up to fail. But if you're kind of talking to people who are upbeat and, and, and in your corner, kind of ready to give you a water break and, and pat you on the shoulder to get back out there, then, then those are the guys that really make a difference. And, and I was mm. lucky to have that. And what about, what about internally as well? Because I imagine that if you're, if you're a million bucks down, right, and you can't necessarily, you don't necessarily see a light at the end of the tunnel, I can imagine what is it? What is it inside? Because a lot of people would want to go and hide away under a rock, right? But what is it, what is it that makes you keep working and then keep, you know, keep looking for the solution? It just gave me a chance to it just put me outside of my comfort zone completely. I think I didn't actually think I felt like I was back in my comfort zone for probably about six weeks. Um, and that's where I find I do some of my best work and, and that's actually where I enjoy doing most of my work or when I'm out there kind of looking for um, pockets and, and things. And, and I really thrived off having the pressure that I had eight internal staff relying on me to make the right decisions um, 
and that if I didn't make the right decisions, then it was actually going to affect all of us, um, not just me. Um, so, yeah, it was just something I, I genuinely really enjoyed, I think. That, like I said, being outside of my comfort zone uh, kind of gets me up and out of bed every day. Mm. Have you got a? Have you got an idea? Have you got like a, you know, a vision for where for where things will be in five years for the company? Have you got like a tucked away somewhere a grand scheme? Jesus, not tucked away. Ask anyone who works in the, in the office. It's uh, I make it super clear. So we've kind of got a clear strategy which will take us through to kind of end of financial year uh, twenty three, um, with a with a clear kind of revenue target. We we kind of want to be. Um, you know, kind of really pushing the, the 25 mil in revenue um, kind of vary from there. So aggressive growth, um, provided it's reliable and, and uh, reputable. Uh, that's definitely what we're after. So high growth um, and gives high learnings and, and a high opportunity to keep going. So that's definitely what I'm after for sure. And so what's that, what's that scale made up of? Is it, is it about spreading around... New Zealand's looking at different different yeah. sectors. So we've kind of got two regions which we think we'll be in in the next twelve months. We're going to head down to Dunedin. We'll open up a branch in Dunedin, and we'll open up a branch in Tauranga, Bay of Plenty. Maybe Hamilton could service kind of a few of that, a few of those uh, regions. But um, looking at that and, and scale is bringing on the right talent internally. You know, you hear about it all the time, but you just have to have the right staff. If you get the right people, it, it just removes so much stress and hassle. Um, and bringing on the right people has allows me to kind of see what capacities we can expect from each individual. So each person has a has a performance hurdle that they need to be, um, you know, achieving. And and if that's the case, then we're achieving our business goals and targets, and and that allows us to continue to scale. And, and the more we do that, the quicker we do that, the more financial resource we'll have to to deploy out into another person or another region. We kind of touched on it earlier, but you know, there's some amazing people um, who, who, are, who are leaving uh, good good careers um, and, are, and are going out there into the into the into the blank canvas of opportunity at the moment. Is that going to change things for you as well in terms of the uh, the, the potential talent that you can work with and and what yeah. sort of things that you can get into? Change it for the good for us. Um, like I said, we've we've got a whole lot of people that. We've got the kind of cream to the crop, right, coming in. Um, and and we're just open arms. We can kind of find that the, the people that we've had, you know, with the CVs being put forward and the people that we've put in front of people, uh, everyone wants to see them uh, because they know that's what it's like at the moment, especially while people aren't wanting to take on fixed costs. You know, people kind of in limbo and, and in between. It also gives those people a chance to see if this is actually what they want to do. Um, well, they might come on and jump on a three-month contract with us and say, actually, you know what, that doesn't necessarily fancy me, but um, hey, let's jump on the next three-month contract in a different sector. So it's actually quite good for both. It's, it's a chance for everyone to reinvent their careers, but it's also a chance for us to facilitate uh, roles and job orders with more reliable and, and hungry and driven people. Mm. Can you give us, it might be a little bit of a tough question just to rattle off, but can you give us like three or four tips from, for for how to grow in a crisis, you know, how to gain market share, how to keep hold of that big vision and kind of deal with the the uncertainty uh, that you've just been through? Yeah, um, geez, you have to have a positive mindset. You can't doubt yourself for one second that the decisions and path that you're about to take is wrong. 
because if you're second guessing yourself, then you bet your bottom dollar, everyone around you is too. Um, so you have to have a positive mindset. Not giving a toss what other people think. That's a massive one. People always are quick to quick to say things and, and say, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that, you're this kind of person, you're that kind of person. If you can keep positive, not care what people are thinking about you, what people are saying about you, um, and and be confident um, in your approach and, and your strategy, um, then for me, that those are kind of the, the, the key kind of attributes along with, with upholding your integrity. Because if you've got that, you'll get a lot of respect from the people around you. And that kind of stuff wears off on them. So, Any others? Yeah, that'd be it, I think. <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, what else are you working on? Um, geez, always trying to work on something else. Always trying to see what's on the horizon. Um, I'm involved in a, in a, in a fit-out um, a retail and kind of office and, and, and shop fitting business. Um, so that keeps me busy outside of being busy with uh, ALH and, and I've always kind of got one eye looking out at the next opportunity. So, yeah, yeah who knows? So how, does, or, or so how does that work? Like, you've, Aren't you busy enough with uh, with the labour hire side of things and growing that to $25 million in revenue? You just decided that you need another side hobby and another business? It wasn't necessarily um, me that decided it, but it, but I, got, I was definitely decided to be involved in it, and it was a great decision. Um, and more more than that, it just gives me more chance to learn outside of my normal lane that I'd be sitting in if it wasn't, you know, I think about the benefits that ALH has had um, from me learning a few other things from fit out. Um, it's been next to none, none and, and priceless to an extent. So, um how do I find? Jeez, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm living in a, live in a little uh, place by myself because no one's going to be here to judge me if I'm working too much. So, um, provided I can kind of come in and, and work as much as I can, then um, I'm always happy doing it. And I'm, I'm always happy. I'm always thriving off, off off new opportunities. And and yeah, it doesn't really feel like work. So, being as busy as I can, that's kind of what I enjoy. Do you think potentially if you've got a few things on the go, does, do you start to leverage one to another? Like with the fit out stuff, I'm imagining that you can get some pretty good, pretty good labor if you need it. Yeah, we can, we, we can, we try like it's branded as two complete different businesses. Um, two complete different businesses. Um, I think when, when I was starting up, when I had ALH and we were starting up fit out, I was kind of deployed to go and do the whole startup and, and get all the behind the scenes stuff sorted. So when um, the boys came in on day one, they didn't have to look back and, and do any of that stuff. Um, so that was quite tough um, coming up with a balance on, on how much time I could allocate to either. Um, that was probably the only thing trying to be disciplined with my time. I wish I just had more hours in my day. That's all. If I had, if I had more, uh, if I had more hours in my day, then, then I'd be uh, I'd be way laughing. How do you keep that balance though? Because surely you gotta, you know, you've gotta you gotta have time for other things. Oh, people always go on about work life balance. Oh, I couldn't think of anything worse, to be fair. Um, what having you know, some work life balance? <laughs> mate, I got no interest in it. <laughs> I um <laughs> I I do have a bit of I, I guess I got uh, uh, all my friends would say otherwise. I've had a pretty good couple of work last weeks shooting out a. Um, into Queenstown but other than that um, I'm more focused on, on finding an energy balance you know if I if I work 48 hours on the go um, I need to find something that I can go and do for one hour which makes me feel like I've slept for 24 um, and gives me far more of a 
boost to keep going and then saying, oh, actually, I've worked nine hours. I need to go and take nine hours off. I'd, and and for me, I've found a couple of those things, and, and, and that just makes it a lot easier. I know I know where my capacity sits, and if I'm tapping on the door of it, I know, hey, I've got to go and jump into this for an hour. Uh, I'll come back feeling a million bucks. Um, so what do you do for an hour that makes you feel like you're set for 24? Doesn't I do I do cycling classes um, at the gym. <laughs> um, so I go in and do like a RPM class for 45 minutes, um, which is really, really good. Um, I try and do it when I can or else I'll just put the shoes on and go for a run um, so I can try and keep the body intact. And, and it just gives me a chance to clear my head and, and take all my focus off work. Um, and And that makes me feel like I've almost been in a hibernation for a while and, and by the time I finish the class or finish my uh, my run I'm, I'm ready to go again and, and feeling fully recharged mm. seems like a bit of a silly question to ask you but are you are you optimistic about the the future of the economy here always optimistic always optimistic um, but realistic at the same time um, and going to be really calculated about kind of where we go and, and where a dollar goes opposed to where it doesn't so mm. Always optimistic, always optimistic. But I, I, you know, hope the best, expect the worst kind of thing. If you could go back and, uh, to, you know, the, the seven-foot-tall, 22-year-old uh, starting out, where do you think, where, if you're looking at the situation right now, where, where are those opportunities, do you think, that you'd be looking at in terms of new startups? Whew. I'm not sure if I if I had enough time, I'd probably be able to give you. If I had enough time to kind of look at a few options, then I probably could come up with some more answers. But I know I'd definitely be looking at the not so sexy stuff. <laughs> I'm sure everyone is kind of looking at um, some cool opportunities. I think um, I don't know. I think the first one someone can kind of come in and, and nail down a, a kind of contact tracing tech contract with the government, then that'd be the first one. But that's definitely not for my brain. That's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what the opportunities look like. Um, probably a couple more marketplaces come available. I think um, seeing it can kind of reduce fixed costs in, in certain industries and, and and kind of sectors. But yeah, I probably haven't had enough time to to sit down and think about it. Are you noticing a bit of a? Because um, even before COVID, you got I I I guess you had like a lot of movement with. Uh, the boomer gen- baby boomer generation uh, getting out of business. Have, have you been noticing that even in the civil space, the transport space, the construction space, that uh, there's been a lot of shifts happening in terms of businesses and either, you know, shutting down or, or, or getting sold to younger players? Um, I think it's interesting because I think you've kind of got the people who are finishing at the other end of their careers like you're talking about. They're, they're already kind of sitting on a gold mine and you've kind of got people coming through like myself and, and a bit younger, just ready to take on the world. So they're probably happy just to say, hey, yeah, come on then, give me something to sit on for the next X, Y, Z amount of time and I'm happy for you to go on and try and put some more head on, on what we've already think is a, a good set of shoulders. So. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, one last question, a question about questions, Pat. Uh, what's a question you'd like me to include in my next interview? Oh. I always enjoy listening to hearing what people's success looks like to, to anyone. So if you ask the next person what success looks like to them, I'm always interested on hearing what that looks like. <laughs> That's a great question. What does success look like to you? Yeah, I think it's a great question. What does it look like to you? Oh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, 
nothing's changed. It just looks like being exposed to, to kind of high learning um, and high growth opportunities. Um, and if I can do that, then, then, then that's what it looks like because that's going to excel me and, and keep pushing me forward in the business and a business and a personal aspect. And, and, and yeah, I love that. I love any chance to be outside my comfort zone. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Awesome. Cheers, mate.